Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by my favorite college in America, Hillsdale College, which proudly refuses every penny of government funding to remain independent. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. It's all quiet in the underground bunker. Doors closed, locks bolted. But the great one isn't just resting on his laurels. He's making sure your weekend is even better by giving you his best. This is the best of Mark Levin. We must not allow the idea that you can criminalize politics, whether it's January 6th, documents, phone calls, or what's going on in Manhattan, that that is acceptable. I want you to step back and think about this. We have a former president of the United States who is running for re-election and is leading in the polls for the Republican nomination. I don't know if that'll last, but that's beside the point. Think about that. You're a local prosecutor. Not only don't you care about the national implications because you're, you're living in a rather small world, but if you do think about the national implications, it's pretty cool, right? You can bog down a candidate. You can bog down a candidate in a frivolous case, in which he could be convicted of account given the nature of what goes on in these Democrat cities, and uh, and help get your your man elected president of the United States. That is Biden or whomever. That is what's going on here, America. That is exactly what's going on here. This is a war on all Republicans, all conservatives, or let me put it differently, on all people who are not embracing the Democrat Party and the radicalization and destruction of this country. That is what's taking place. Now, people in your vehicles listening to me, people at home over dinner listening to me, people who will be listening to me over the podcast, you have to let this sink in. That this is what's taking place. Four separate grand juries? Everything is criminalized. The phone call that President Trump had in Georgia. A non-disclosure agreement that was signed I don't even know how long ago it was signed out long time ago documents January 6th do you know the uh, the prosecutor in Washington has pulled in secret service agents now to interview them so he's violated attorney-client privilege because a 
An Obama judge said he could. He's gotten uh, wait staff, other service personnel at uh, Mar-a-Lago, which is a huge facility, other lawyers, and so forth. It's unbelievable. And to do what? To try and build an obstruction case. None of this is going on with with Biden. I mean, I don't even know if the independent examination of his situation has even started yet. There's no leaks from this guy. We don't even remember his name. Mr. Producer, who's the special counsel theoretically investigating Joe Biden? And his documents. I don't remember his name. I mean, I can Google it and I'll know it in two seconds, but that's not the point. It's not the point. Here is Dana Bash on CNN yesterday with Joe Tacopina about whether or not they're going to ask for another judge. Cut three, go. I want to ask about the judge that we believe is going to preside over this the, judge uh, in the case in Manhattan is a disgrace. He's usually pro-defendant, but when it comes to Trump, he's pro-prosecution. And so, of course, the Democrats call him a no-nonsense judge. And they're all demanding cameras in the courtroom, but they don't have cameras in the courtroom there. Well, they want to make an exception for Trump. And they're all saying that he's going to have a gag order on Trump. Here's a man running for president of the United States. They're going to have a gag order on him. While he's under constant attack by the Democrats, that'll tell you everything you need to know tomorrow, if that's what this judge rules. And by the way, there's nobody better at unraveling this stuff than me, period. I've been involved with independent counsels. I've been involved in litigation. I've been involved with U.S. attorneys and district attorneys. I sat as chief of staff to an attorney general of the United States. Any damn fool who preempts my show tomorrow, well, then you know they're a damn fool. Just pointing it out. They do so at their own stupidity. Go ahead, Mr. Producer. I want to ask about the judge that we believe is going to preside over the arraignment. The former president, your client, was lashing out against him. Uh, His name is Juan Mershon. And... The former president said that the judge hates him and was handpicked by the D.A. for this case for that reason. Are you going to ask for a different judge? We are going to take the indictment, evaluate all our legal options. Let me tell you why she's asking him that. She's trying to put him on the spot. I assume they might ask for a different judge, but more wisely, they might ask for a different venue, which would wind up a different judge. And this is the way the media play these things. When I do interviews, I don't do this. But this is what they're doing. They're trying to catch them because they're on the side of the Democrat Party and the prosecution. You're going to ask for a different judge. When in fact what they need to do is ask for a different venue. But that's something you don't announce the Sunday before the Tuesday on television. That's something you deal with with the judge in the court because no judge wants to hear that outside the courtroom. 
Dana Bash knows this. But she's not there to report the news. She's there to create controversy and to hurt Donald Trump. Go ahead. And pursue everyone most vigorously. Uh, This is a case of political persecution. Had he not been running for office right now, for the office of the presidency, which, by the way, the polls have shown since this has been announced, his numbers have gone up significantly. Had he not been running for presidency, he would not have been indicted. Well, but let's talk about the judge. There's no scenario where he'd been indicted. No, no, let's talk about the judge, because I want to create a controversy. I want I want you to answer my question before Tuesday in front of the court. Where such motions are to be made. In a proper fashion. And why else is she doing this, America? Because she wants to create a gag order on Trump. That's why. A gag order for Trump. Because the judge will say, what are you discussing all this on TV for? Go ahead. Will you ask ask for a different judge? Well, I just said, we have to get the indictment, and then we'll, we'll evaluate every single legal maneuver. The, um, you know, I have no issue with this judge whatsoever. Well, the, your client um, does. He says that he's... has a very good reputation. Well, he, well, my, but my client has a right to have an issue with everything. He's been politically persecuted. Make no mistake about that, Dana. Whether you sit on the right or the left, or you're a supporter or detractor of Donald Trump, this should really bother you. This, this should really shake the core <laughs> of what we believe our justice system should be about. It should not be weaponized to go after political opponents. So the ju- you That's don't believe this judge so is biased? Out because he's the victim. I have no reason to believe this okay. judge is biased. I've not been before him on this matter. So I, we, we have to let this process play out. Mm-hmm. But she doesn't want to. She wants to influence the outcome. And this is why this is so disgusting. Now, they bring Lanny Davis on CNN. Lanny Davis has been a lawyer for a long time in and around Washington. Those days when he used to represent Clinton, remember him? He's a nice enough guy, but he's a hack, a Democrat Party hack. And he has been Michael Cohen's lawyer. So, of course, they bring him on CNN And they're not going to tell you his background as a Democrat Party hack. Cut five, go. You just heard what he said, uh, that uh, Michael Cohen cannot be trusted. You have said, quote, everything that Michael Cohen has testified to is surrounded by documentation and corroboration. So I want to be clear. Do you have and have you submitted to this DA documentation, evidence beyond Michael Cohen's testimony? that uh, Donald Trump directed or at least caused Michael Cohen to conduct. Now, that, that shouldn't be the question. The question should be, is Takapina right? You asked Takapina. He told you that Michael Cohen is incapable of telling the truth. Uh, and he is incapable of telling the truth. And he's now going to have a civil lawsuit from Dershowitz, Alan Dershowitz. And uh, we'll be rooting for Dershowitz in that case because... Uh, the woman who accused Dershowitz of all kinds of nasty things related to the Epstein matter. You can tell when somebody's innocent by the way they respond. He brought a case. He's been loud about it. He's been upset about it. And she pulled back, said that she could have misidentified him. And Dershowitz was not going to be shaken down. 
period. And that's how you react. That's how I would react. And uh, in the case of Cohen, he was on TV. He said that about Dershowitz. He regurgitated it, even though he knew the facts. Didn't matter. Uh, there is contemporary written information from from Cohen that uh, this money came from him, not from Donald Trump, and that he did it because he was trying to protect his client and so forth. He was trying to ingratiate himself with... The guy talks, he can see what an idiot he is. He's that dumb guy. He's that dumb guy who weaseled his way into power. Will we bring Lanny Davis on? And let's see how much we learned from Lanny Davis here. Cut five, go. In these business yes, do you mind if I answer your direct question and then make a comment about Please. Mr. Tacopino? First of all, the answer is yes. Uh, Michael Cohen submitted... A lot of documentation, not only to this group of prosecutors, but so to what? the earlier. So what? You can submit a lot of documentation all you want. Documentation of what? Did he submit the documentation about his other lawyer? Making it abundantly clear that Michael Cohen was responsible and not Donald Trump? Did he submit that documentation? I'm just curious. Go ahead. And there are other documents from other people and other testimony from other people, some of it direct, involving conversations with Now, Mr. how does Lanny Davis know this? He's not part of the prosecution. He has one client, Michael Cohen. And if this was discussed in the grand jury, why is Lanny Davis discussing it now? meaning his client may well have told him about it, or the prosecution may well have told him about it. So why is Lanny Davis out there repeating it? Lanny, can you answer my question, please? You can call in if you want. Are you regurgitating information that was shared in the grand jury room? Because you don't have that right. People who testify do, because you weren't there. So somebody must have shared it with you. And now you're sharing it on CNN. I'm just curious. The leaks coming out of this this prosecutor are constant. They're relentless. And there's been barely a public statement. It's all anonymous leaks. Just like in Washington, just like in Atlanta. This is the game, and it needs to be exposed. My question to Lanny Davis is... You're telling us about what other people said, apparently to the grand jury, other documents from other people, <coughs> excuse me, were presented during the grand jury. Did your client tell you these things? Okay. So why are you repeating them on TV? What about that, Mr. Producer? Mark Levin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, 
Woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durban Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durban Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. Making your weekend even better. This is the best of Mark Levin. You know, this is amazing. I've been around a little while. Before I did radio the last 20 years. I practiced law. I practiced law with a legal organization called Landmark Legal Foundation. Before that, I was in a number of positions in the Reagan administration, including chief of staff to the Attorney General of the United States, Ed Meese. I've seen a lot of cases in my life, handled a lot of cases in my life. I've known a lot of U.S. attorneys. I've known a lot of litigators. I've known a lot of lawyers, period. Some good, some bad, some okay. I've never seen anything like this in my entire life. I read this document, 16 pages long, put out by the DA's office in Manhattan. This document could have been written by a pre-law student, but that pre-law student would have flunked. It is a stupid document. It is a document that is vapid, that makes no sense. And I told Mr. Producer, and I told my wife, do you realize there's no crimes alleged here? I read this thing, I said, they're not alleging any crimes, or any actual crimes. They are making allegations, but there aren't any actual crimes here. Now, First of all, there's no federal offense that's even applicable to this. The DA has no jurisdiction on federal matters, as you well know. But it's more than that. Throughout this document, Bragg talks about underlying criminal acts, which turn these acts into felonies. What are the underlying criminal facts? That is... What are the underlying crimes that were covered up by this non-disclosure agreement? Do you know what they are, America? We don't know. We're assuming it's a federal campaign issue. But we actually don't know because he doesn't tell us. So key to the felony nature of what he's alleging there has to be under New York State law an underlying crime that is being covered up by a bookkeeping act a bookkeeping error to make it a crime to make it a felony as opposed to misdemeanor he doesn't list any not one 
If you're going to be charged with a crime, the crime has to be very specific. These are specific intent crimes. You have to know that you're committing a crime in order to commit it. We're not talking about strict liability regulations. We're talking about a criminal act, a felony. There's no underlying crime that's mentioned here to turn these so-called misdemeanors into a felony. Not one. Now, more than that, it's time for me to correct something. It's more than the fact that he doesn't have jurisdiction to even look at federal elections issues that the United States Attorney's Office in the Southern District looked at and said, there's nothing here. It's not enough to allege somebody's covering up a crime when they haven't even been charged with the underlying crime. Do you understand what I'm saying, Mr. Producer? You can't charge somebody under a state statute. I don't care if it's New York, it's New Hampshire, or whatever it is. And say he committed this crime to cover up another crime. But he's not been charged with another crime. You get my point? Let alone convicted of another crime. So how could he be covering up another crime? And it's not enough for a prosecutor just to assert he's covering up other criminal conduct. Well, what is it? I'm not telling you. Well, if you tell me, what was he charged with? Nothing. What was he convicted of? Nothing. Then how can there be an underlying crime? Now, you're going to hear everybody say this on Fox tonight and everywhere else because I just said it now. And that's okay. I will be on Fox myself on Hannity tonight. This state statute is utterly unconstitutional. Bragg is right. You can't possibly have due process if you don't even know what you're defending against. If you don't even know how you committed the crime. I hope I'm not making this too complicated. Let me try this again. If you have a state law, according to Bragg, that says, look, I made some bookkeeping errors here. I called something legal that should have been called schmiegel or whatever. And that is a felony because you use that bookkeeping quote-unquote error to cover up an underlying crime. All right, is that clear, Mr. Producer? Now, what's the underlying crime that you're covering up? I'm not telling you. It's not in this 16-page document. He was even asked about it, as you'll see. He says, I don't have to tell you under state law. Then that state law is unconstitutional. If he's right. Number two, it's not enough to assert that somebody was covering up an underlying crime. Were they charged with the underlying crime? No. Let alone convicted? No. So you're just going to assert that they're covering up an underlying crime, even though you won't, number one, mention it, number two, nobody's been charged with it, number three, let alone convicted? Right. That's unconstitutional. It's unconstitutional. 
We also find out that the judge's daughter worked for Vice President Kamala Harris. Did you know that, Mr. Producer? He should have recused himself because of the appearance of a conflict of interest. That's the standard. Not even the fact of a conflict of interest. The appearance of a conflict of interest. The judge should have recused himself. That's the standard. That's the standard. Now, his daughter has since moved on from working for uh, Kamala Harris. She's the partner in a far-left group digital strategies firm called Authentic Campaigns. She's worked on a number of Democrat campaigns. She used to work for Kamala Harris. Why is this judge still on this case? It's clear when you have an appearance of a conflict of interest, whether you feel you're conflicted or not, is beside the point. And, of course, Bragg should have been disbarred. When he ran for office, alleging that he was going to get Trump or indict Trump, that's it. You're gone. That's it. Now, furthermore, there's so many bad things about this. Bragg says, I'm not going to normalize crimes, financial crimes like this. I'm not going to normalize them. No, he's going to normalize murder and theft and assault and rape and acts of anti-Semitism under New York hate crimes and on and on, as my wife pointed out to me. He's more than happy to normalize crimes. But there's no crime, folks. There's not even a crime that's properly alleged here. No actual crime is alleged here. And you're going to hear this regurgitated now. There's nothing here. There's nothing in this 16-page document. Nothing. Well, the underlying crime, what is it? I'm not telling you. You don't get to play games like that when you're a prosecutor. The defendant and the defendant's lawyers have a right to know what exactly you're charging them with. I'm going to let you hear his statement a little, little later. But I want you to hear this question to Alvin Bragg. Cut to Mr. Producer, go. Mr. Bragg, the indictment says that uh, there were 34 false uh, business uh, uh, records. And they would not conceal another crime, but the indictment does not specifically say what those crimes were. We are assuming, perhaps, that they might be election-related. I'm wondering if you can uh, specify what laws we're all right. So let me let me say as an initial matter that the indictment doesn't specify because the law does not so require. Uh, in my remarks, I mentioned a couple of laws, which I will highlight uh, again now. Uh, the, the, the first is New York state election law, which makes it a crime uh, to conspire. Okay, so you, you don't get to be an opinion maker when you're the D.A. Let me tell you some of the things I highlighted in my comment. No, no. In the indictments, you don't say that. It's the indictments that people have to work off of, not your press conference. Can you specify what laws? Well, let me give you a couple ideas. No, I don't want a couple ideas. I don't want your thoughts. What are you alleging? Go ahead. To remote a candidacy by unlawful means. I further indicated a, a number of unlawful means, including more additional false statements. But why didn't you charge him for these things? 
I don't get it. You don't get to just say, well, he did this, and I allege he did that, and I, did you charge him? No. Well, then your opinion is no different than the homeless guy on the corner. These haven't been adjudicated. That's why you're here, America. Go ahead. That were planned to be made to tax authorities. I also noted the federal election law cap on contraband contribution uh, limits. But why weren't there those crimes charged? Why were they charged with those crimes? Well, we, we I'm not going to go into our deliberate process on what was and brought. We're not the asking you to go into your deliberate process. You know, this guy's stupid. I've concluded he's a moron. Somebody else is running this office. And I think I know who it is. It's the chief assistant DA, Meg Reese. This guy's too stupid to come up with even this convoluted and stupid list of uh, charges. Meg Reese, as Gateway Pundit pointed out, as commentator John Cardillo pointed out, this Meg Reese, the deputy in the office, is the real Svengali. And they went back and looked at her social sites, and she has posted one Trump-hating one Trump-hating post after another retweets them. Make America intelligent again, dump Trump. She retweeted that. Ezra Klein is a moron. I've always believed Trump lives in a fortress of narcissism, self-pity, and self-justification. That's funny, Ezra. I thought that was you. But watching some of the statements he's submitted to making in recent days, I do wonder if it's beginning to dawn on him how he'll be remembered, how he'll be seen. She retweeted that. Ibrahim X. Kendi, we know who he is. He retweet. He writes, he's gone, and now it's up to us to drive, drive out what he represents. He is lies. He is lies. That's good, Ibrahim. He means his lies and bigotry and so forth. She retweeted that, and I can go on and on. She retweeted Elizabeth Warren and others. And then when this was pointed out, she locked her Twitter site and then deleted everything. Hmm. Deleted everything. Meg Reese is running this office because Alan Bragg is just too damn stupid. It's interesting when you think about it. So they're trying to put Donald Trump in prison over a paperwork issue and they can't even defend their charges can't even explain their charges the moron in dc jack the ripper smith he's trying to put trump in federal prison over a paper matter over a documents matter and meanwhile they're hiring eighty-seven thousand new irs agents to investigate and audit you over what paperwork matters this is a tyranny eighty-seven thousand new irs agents Paper issues. Oh, you didn't return the paper we demanded. And I've been telling you for months now with this stuff going on, you keep an eye on Atlanta and Washington, D.C. A lot of these legal analysts, they're out there saying, and those are the real cases. So you're going to like several of them right now, and you should. They're making sense and saying smart things about what's taking place in Manhattan. But then the trigger might be pulled in Atlanta and they're going to say, oh, she has him dead to rights. 
Or maybe the trigger will be pulled in Washington, D.C. Oh, my goodness. They're going to say, oh, yes. This, uh, you, you hear Bill Barr saying this. Although, to his credit, he also says, it's one thing if you have the ability to pull the trigger, it's quite another whether you should. So I will give him that. On a paper issue, you see. And then January 6th, we're going to dust off some of these old Confederate statutes. Democrat Party being connected at the hip with the old Confederacy. Oh, yes. And they're going to be talking about, uh, you know, this This is really serious. Now, you heard the dim-witted uh, press secretary. It's the greatest threat America has ever faced. And they have to keep lying about it, that five police officers were murdered. No, they weren't. No, they weren't. We don't need lectures from the party of Ted Kennedy and Chappaquiddick. We know when people have been killed. And the only person killed on January 6th was an innocent young lady who served her country, a veteran, when she was protesting. And she was shot in cold blood and murdered and died on the floor of the Congress, the floor of the Capitol. Mark Levin. You are listening to the best of Mark Levin. I want to read you something for a reason. Stick with me. From the Los Angeles Times, this is a few years back during the Clinton presidency. The chief of China's military intelligence secretly directed funds from Beijing to help re-elect President Clinton in 1996. Former Democratic fundraiser Johnny Chung has told federal investigators. Chung provided damning testimony before a federal grand jury that the Chinese government wanted Clinton re-elected. Charlie Tree, a longtime friend of President Clinton, raised $1.2 million in foreign dollars for the Clinton Legal Defense Fund and the DNC. Los Angeles Times also reported James T. Riotti, another longtime friend of Bill Clinton. He had extensive ties to Communist China, and his banking group acknowledged in court papers they made millions of dollars in illegal campaign donations to Democratic presidential and congressional candidates dating to 1988, including hundreds of thousands of dollars to Clinton's first campaign for the White House in 1992. Johnny Wong raised more than $1.5 million from illegal foreign sources and visited the White House 78 times. What do you think of that, Mr. Producer? It's pretty bad stuff, don't you think? Bill Clinton was never charged. In fact, there was never investigation of Bill Clinton by the Department of Injustice under Janet Reno, and she refused to extend then independent counsel Ken Starr's portfolio to include this. The communist Chinese military poured millions and millions of dollars into the Clinton campaigns, into the Democrat National Committee. And there was never any investigation of what Bill Clinton knew and when he knew it. 
or the Democrat National Committee. And here we have a non-disclosure agreement involving President Trump in which they say he violated federal campaign law. Now what I just read to you is an unfreedom of the press. Yes, one of my books. When I was explaining how pathetic the media are, and they are pathetic. And there's more over here at Town Hall from Sarah Arnold. Earlier this week, actor Leonardo DiCaprio testified in federal court that Malaysian financier Joho Lo revealed his plans to donate up to $30 million to help Obama's 2012 re-election campaign. He testified it was a casual conversation about what party he was in support of. I told him what party I was in support of. He told me that he or he and a group were going to make a significant contribution to the Democratic Party. DiCaprio told the Washington jury it was a significant sum, something to the tune of 20 to 30 million. I said, wow, that's a lot of money. Lowe allegedly recruited Brock Brass McKell the founding member of the iconic 1990s hip-hop group, the Fugees, to help fund a large amount of money to Obama's re-election campaign. But under U.S. federal election law, foreigners cannot donate to presidential campaigns. Lowe is facing federal criminal charges for allegedly embezzling $4.5 billion from Malaysia's one MDB sovereign wealth fund. DiCaprio is a crucial witness to his relationship with the financier, who also helped fund the actor's 2013 movie, The Wolf of Wall Street. 2018, the Department of Justice reached a civil settlement with the film's production company, which forfeited $60 million, which was found to have been stolen from 1MDB. Since then, DiCaprio has been cooperating with the U.S. government. According to prosecutors, Mikhail, who could wire the money from Lowe's account into Obama's campaign without being detected. They also believe he worked with others to persuade the Trump administration to stop investigating Lowe. But since the news broke, Lowe's been a fugitive and is being believed to be hiding in China. Other people involved have been charged with bribery, money laundering, and other crimes. Wow. Tens of millions of dollars may have wound up in the Obama campaign. Anybody investigating Obama, Mr. Producer? Wow, ladies and gentlemen. No national, no, uh, non-disclosure agreement there from years and years and years and years ago. I just want to point out how this works, America. But there's even more. From Hot Air, Ed Morrissey. FEC Commissioner to brag, we already concluded no crime took place, pal. If you slice and dice one payoff into 34 misdemeanors, with the intent to claim mean action intended to cover up a serious crime, shouldn't you name that crime? Alvin Bragg still hasn't done so, despite going through with an arraignment, what appears to be a secret charge of some sort. Presumably, Bragg will argue that Donald Trump violated federal campaign finance laws and falsified business records to cover it up. That isn't the only possibility. 
But that has been the leading theory. That theory of the crime has two big problems, though. First off, the Federal Election Commission and the Department of Justice have jurisdiction, as you folks know, not a county DA. And second, as one FCC commissioner explained yesterday afternoon to our buddy Paul Bedard at the Washington Examiner, the FEC already investigated it. And they already concluded no crime had been committed by Trump, as did the Department of Justice. Here's what it said. A key member of the FEC today rejected the Manhattan DA's indictment of former President Trump as a violation of federal election laws. It's not a campaign violation. It's not a reporting violation of any kind, said FEC Commissioner James E. Trey Trainer. Boy, that's like four names, Mr. Producer. I don't know how you get around the evidence that both the Department of Justice, in their investigation of the federal campaign finance issues, and the Federal Election Commission, in their ultimate jurisdiction over campaign finance issues, neither of them found there to be any violations whatsoever. And I think the jury's going to see that a, they're going to have to rely upon the fact that both the law enforcement experts and civil enforcement experts, as far as campaign finance is concerned, didn't find any violation of the law. And I guess that's why the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Southern District of New York wasn't interested either, folks. So it's been investigated by the FEC. It's been investigated by the DOJ. They said there's no crime. There's not even a reporting violation. In the case of Clinton and Obama, they received tens of millions of dollars, as did the DNC in Clinton's years, from the communist Chinese military. But no problem there. Now, if the judge in Manhattan hearing the case sticks to the rule of law, it's tough to see how a jury gets this question at all. In the first place, prosecutors are generally not allowed to withhold charges in an arraignment. An arraignment is supposed to formally satisfy the constitutional requirement that defendants get fully apprised of the charges against them. It's not unusual to add counts to indictments after arraignments as investigations proceed. But it's unheard of to predicate misdemeanors into felonies on the basis of covering up another felony without naming the felony on which the other felony charges are predicated, even worse than that. They talk about underlying crimes. He didn't commit any underlying crimes. That's the point. Even if he were to name 500 crimes, Trump wasn't convicted, let alone charged with any of these crimes. You don't get a, hey, he did this to cover up another crime. But he didn't commit another crime, let alone this crime. Now, we don't let prosecutors use secret charges in American courtrooms. At least we didn't until now. That defect is front and center in Bragg's presentation in court, even before a judge tackles jurisdiction. So there you have it. But what if the predicate felony, he writes, isn't a federal campaign violation? Bragg hinted at the presser after the arraignment that the underlying felony was a state crime, even though a statement of facts attached to the indictment hinted at a federal campaign violation. Another theory floating since the arraignment is that Bragg will charge Trump with conducting a fraud on voters in New York County through paying off Stormy Daniels and presumably Karen McDougal to keep them from talking about an affair, that theory has any number of problems. I've talked about the John Edwards precedent. But anyway, the biggest problem is he's not guilty of any underlying state crime either. 
That's the bottom line. So, the law doesn't even matter here, does it? Nobody cares. They're just rushing ahead. The Democrats trying to influence the election, trying to interfere with another election, trying to create precedent. And once again, for multiple times, this show's heard all over the country. It's heard all over the world, actually. I'm asking Republican prosecutors out there to take a very good look at your own statutes, local, state, and even federal, but particularly the state prosecutors, the DAs, the state prosecutors, and so forth. See if there's anything there that you can use to charge Biden or any senior Democrat official. I mean, if you're not 100% certain, you're 80% certain that it'll fly, then do it. It's the only way this will stop. Do it. Because otherwise, this will continue. You'd be doing it for your country. You'd be doing it in the name of the law. It is a legitimate reply and response. It's the only way to at least begin the process of clawing us back from the abyss because we're already falling into the abyss. But I wanted you to be aware of Johnny Chung and Charlie Tree, many of you remember, and then the monies that flowed into the Obama campaign and how people really didn't want to look. Oh, let's not look. Let's look askanced. A what? Askanced. And, of course, it's the same reason they won't dig into Joe Biden, who's been bought and paid for by the communist Chinese, and that's why they're on the move. That's why they've gotten as far as they've gotten under this administration. In our hemisphere, in Africa, the Middle East, obviously in uh, Southeast Asia. They've gotten this far because Joe Biden has bought and paid for. Mark Levin. The Great One makes your weekend even better. This is the best of Mark Levin. IRS and Treasury Department officials said today that they will use $80 billion in new funding for the tax service to claw back unpaid balances from high-income earners and complex businesses, restoring audits on those taxpayers to higher rates for more than a decade ago and to boost consumer service resources for middle and low-income tax filers. This is all propaganda. This is all propaganda. 87,000 IRS agents, they need to be busy with the other 80,000 IRS agents. I want you to think about that. That's 170,000 IRS agents. You think they're there just to go after billionaires? You don't need 170,000 IRS agents to go after billionaires. They're going to retool the IRS. They're only going to go over the wealthy. You know, I keep going through this, and you know what's interesting about this article? Nowhere do they define what the wealthy means. It's like democracy. I mean, the communist Chinese talk about the Democratic Republic of this. Castro talks about democracy. So democracy means everything, and democracy means nothing. 
The people. People commit genocide on behalf of the people. Pol Pot, Adolf Hitler, or the people. Now, that's not this, but I'm just talking about language, per se. So when they said we're going to go over the wealthy, okay, can you tell us who are the wealthy? Now, one of the reasons that they have to audit the poorest of the poor when they file taxes is because there's a lot of scams that go on. Illegal aliens, no offense. If you're here illegally, no offense, of course. Or other people who get basically subsidies, even though they claim that they're paying taxes uh, in the media and so forth. The low-income taxpayers. Well, low-income taxpayers, I mean really low-income taxpayers, they get subsidies. They get health care subsidies for themselves and their kids. And they get stipends for themselves and their kids. The more kids you have, the more stipends you get. So that needs to be looked at. It's not like, hey, let's focus on the poor. So they're trying to make sure that fraud in these massive welfare programs and the redistribution programs uh, is kept to a minimum. But they fail horribly at that as well. And they will never agree to what I believe ought to to take place, a flat income tax or a flat national sales tax. Now, to have a national sales tax, you'd have to amend the Constitution. Sorry, you would. You have to amend the Constitution. There's nothing in the Constitution about a sales tax. You'll see there's a section on taxes in the original Constitution, and there is an amendment to the constitutional income taxes. So if we had a flat 10% tax, that would pay for everything. Except the Democrat Party base doesn't want to pay any taxes. That's the truth. The Democrat Party base receives more than it gives. That's why they keep expanding government, keep expanding government programs, subsidies, redistribution of wealth. And when you look at budget uh, at uh, Biden's budgets, he basically has, and there's exceptions to this, of course, Republicans subsidizing Democrats. That's what you're doing. Republicans are subsidizing Democrats. And that's how he does his budget. All right, the big news today was John Kirby. Did you know he's an admiral? He's an admiral. You know why he's an admiral? Because they kept pulling him up one rank after another, after the rank ladders, you know, one step after another. The guy has been in PR his entire life. Oh, Admiral, Admiral Kirby. Call him Admiral. What kind of Admiral is this? Plus he lies to us. So the withdrawal from Afghanistan is Trump's fault. Did you know this? They change all of Trump's policies, but this policy they couldn't figure out how to change. Joe Biden, you know, Harry Truman used to say the buck stops here. I think we need a new sign for Biden, the schmuck stops here, because Biden takes responsibility for nothing. He takes all the oil out of the strategic oil reserve for emergencies. You know, he sucks the lifeblood out of the country. And then, ooh, let's see, are we going to blame Trump or Putin? Maybe we shouldn't blame the rich. MAGA. Extremist MAGA. Let's blame them. Here's uh, John Kirby at the White House. Cut one. Go. 
But while it was always the president's intent to end that war, it is also undeniable that decisions made and the lack of planning done by the previous administration significantly limited options available to him. No, they didn't. They didn't limit any options available to Biden. Biden could have said, let's put the brakes on this and take a new look at it. Biden could have said uh, whatever he wanted to do. No, there were no options limited. It's amazing. And what exact options were limited by Trump? Notice again, they don't say. Anyway, go ahead. Biden inherited a forced presence in Afghanistan of some 2,500 troops. So? Mr. Producer, I'm waiting to see how long it's going to take for you to hit the button. Since 2001, he inherited a special immigrant visa program that had been starved of resources. And he inherited a deal struck between the previous administration and the Taliban that called for the complete removal of all U.S. troops by May of 2021. Uh, Hello, 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 dummy. Everybody knows what was agreed to there. There were certain conditions that had to be met in order to withdraw by that date. It's amazing. These guys don't even comply with the Constitution, but they find this thing... While we were backed up, we couldn't do anything. We couldn't, we had to deal with the Taliban. Like that matters. Go ahead. Taliban, which had stopped its attacks while the deal was in place, would go back to war against the United States. The president's transition team asked to see plans. All right, let me, let me, let me, let me put an end to this painful rambling by this more, oh, excuse me, the admiral. If he's an admiral, I'm a five-star general. I've seen as much combat as he has. And boy, I'll tell you what, the mosquitoes in the summer around here are brutal. Anyway, so uh, let me put it to you this way. You guys got 13 heroes murdered. The... uh, God knows how many Americans are still there. You say a few hundred, it's more likely a few thousand. How many of our allies that put their necks on the line working for us in Afghanistan have perished and their families brutalized? Taliban represent 12% of the population of that country, just so you know, folks. And I only point this out because this isn't the first time that Joe Biden has screwed everything up. He screwed everything up with Iran. He screwed everything up with Russia and Ukraine. He screwed everything up with China. He's a screwball. He's a screw-up. That's what he is. He never tells you what his dad really said. He never said, hey, Joey, see those two men kissing over there? They're in love. I suspect Biden's father said, hey, Joey, get your dumb ass over here and get your work done and stop cheating off of other people. That's what I suspect his father really told him. Peter Ducey's having none of this. Cut to go. Who's going to get fired over this? Peter, the purpose of the document that we're putting out today uh, is to sort of collate the chief reviews and findings of the agencies that did after-action reviews. Um, uh, the, it, it's not, the, the purpose of it is not accountability. It's the purpose of it is military leaders. The purpose of it is to study like lesson learned. You admit that the intel was bad. 
So how can President Biden ever trust when they come into the Oval Office with the PDB that anything in there is legit? What I said was... That intelligence is a mosaic. What if the mosaic, all the pieces are incorrect? What I said was intelligence is hard business, and they get it right a lot, too. Um, there were some pieces here that weren't accurate. And we're being nothing but honest with you and the American people about what those inaccuracies were and how they shaped some of the decisions. No, no, no. That was it's late. Trump's fault. It's Trump's fault. It's Trump's fault. That's your, that's your go-to response. You don't need to go through all this, Admiral. Cut three, go. It doesn't seem like after the country has had a couple months to review this, and as the government has, people don't have an issue with the decision to order troops out of Afghanistan. It is with the way that this president ordered it done. There were children being killed. There were people hanging off of Air Force jets that were leaving. And you're saying that you guys are proud of the way that this mission was conducted? Does not mean of that? Proud of the fact that we got more than 124,000 people safely out of Afghanistan? You bet. Proud of the fact that American troops were able to seize control of a defunct airport and get it operational in 48 hours? That's like saying that we were proud of the way this Vietnam War ended. Look at all the people we got out of there. They, they got on boats. They went into the ocean. Many of them died, were eaten by sharks. But look, otherwise all those people wouldn't have gotten out of there. Maybe more people would have gotten out of Afghanistan if it was handled properly. Mike Washington, is, has this idiot ever handled anything properly? Anything. Go ahead. The fact that we now have about 100,000 Afghans, our former allies and partners, living in this country and working towards citizenship, you bet. But does that mean that everything went perfect in that uh, evacuation? So he's proud. They're proud. That's pretty amazing. Those people that were holding onto the plane, remember that, Mr. Producer? Who fell to their death? He's proud. No, he's sick. Nobody gets fired, nobody's held to account. Mark Levin. We're giving you nothing but the best. The best of Mark Levin. You know, it's amazing the amount of attention the major media are giving to the expulsion of two individuals, almost three, uh, in the House or the Assembly of Tennessee. And they tell you precious little of what these individuals did. They were on the floor of the House and they basically shut down the operations. Uh, And they led a protest. Now, why is this drawing the attention of the media? Because the media want to make this into a racial issue. As they want to make everything into a racial issue. What if this had happened in another legislature and they decided to expel some members also for effectively shutting down the operations of the, uh, of the legislature? Nobody would care. Nobody would care. Now, when 
Pelosi was the speaker. Can you imagine if you had Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates and a couple others on the floor of the House leading a protest? What would happen? What would the national media say about that? What would Chuck Todd and Andrea Mitchell and all the rest say about that? Well, here they're saying it's absolutely racist because the individuals who were expelled were black. Um, And there was one white woman, and she denied having raised her voice and yelling during during the protests on the floor of the House. And she was almost expelled by one vote. Uh, short of being expelled. And so I see what's taking place with the the black power fist in the air. These are two young guys. Kamala Harris is going there. And I think to myself, this is an administration in Washington, D.C. that has taken the wrong side when it comes to the litigation against Harvard by Asian Americans who are being discriminated against. This is an administration that has been absolutely silent about the massive amount of hate crimes and anti-Semitism going on against Jewish people. This is an administration that picks and chooses its outrage. Now apparently the way it works is these two individuals in the Tennessee House will be fairly quickly reinstated through whatever processes they have in the state. I haven't taken the time to study them. But it's kind of tough to run a state legislature. Kind of tough when your own members are basically making it impossible for that legislature to debate. And I see a contrary view when it comes to January 6th. Even when there was violence on January 6th, the vast majority of the people were not violent. You have people who are being charged criminally, losing their liberty, losing their jobs, some committing suicide uh, because they were trespassing or parading on government property. And you don't hear much defense of those people. And indeed, the United States Department of Justice is applying more resources in those cases than in any other cases in the, in the history of the department. And they, they celebrate it. So the only reason Kamala Harris and the rest are getting involved in it is because they're racializing this. But understand, it wasn't just the members. These members brought a whole bunch of other people in to the chamber, making it again impossible for activity to take place. And you cannot have that going on, can you? Can you? No, I don't think so. That doesn't mean you throw the book at people who were there innocently. You haven't heard me say we should criminalize it and all these people should be prosecuted and go to prison. 
I don't agree with that either. But it is amazing how the media conduct themselves in this country, which is really quite awful. They want us all at each other's throats. We shouldn't be at each other's throats. They want us all divided by physical features, which, of course, we shouldn't be. They want us all in a constant state of hate and jealousy and anger because they get better ratings that way. And, of course, they're ideologically driven in the media. Now, the Biden administration is completely out of control. They've sort of turned back to uh, certain types of gas stoves that they want to get rid of, the high-end stuff. In other words, the kind of stuff restaurants use. The Biden administration uh, has circled back. They want to eliminate the kind of light bulbs that you're used to, uh, you're used to purchasing. And so they're going to do that. So come August, you'll have to buy these LED light bulbs. You won't be able to buy these incandescent light bulbs. So the federal government's going to ban light bulbs again. And there's even more than that. The Biden administration is moving toward, quote-unquote, cracking down on gas cars. From Fox News, the Biden administration is weighing an aggressive proposal to implement the tightest ever federal regulations governing tailpipe emissions in an effort to boost electric vehicles. Now, what does that mean? They're going to make the emissions scientifically impossible, the emissions level, scientifically impossible to comply with. And that's how they plan to ban, ban nationwide Automobiles that run on gasoline. The EPA is expected to announce the new standards, which will impact cars manufactured starting in 2027. Next week, during a ceremony in Detroit, Bloomberg reported, citing officials briefed on the proposal. In a statement, the EPA confirmed the standards are designed to incentivize consumers to purchase electric vehicles. So they want to force you to buy electric vehicles against your will, the electrical grid, is not ready to handle all this. It's going to be an enormous inconvenience to you, and they don't care. All done by executive order. All done by executive order. The proposal expected next week is set to be introduced as the Biden administration continues its aggressive push for more Americans to switch to electric vehicles and to electrify home appliances in an effort to combat global warming. This whole thing is a massive ruse. It's going to destroy our economy and it's going to do more than that. It's going to do more than that. Chase Bank CEO says Biden's EV push could imperil national security and benefit China. There's no question about it. We're dealing with very stupid people who are driven by ideology. From Just the News, J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon, a top Democrat Party donor and among the U.S. most powerful business leaders, is raising concerns about the Biden administration's electric vehicle push, saying such an agenda poses a national security risk. 
says China and its economic muscle to dominate batteries, rare earths, minerals, semiconductors, or EVs could eventually imperil national security by disrupting our access to these products and materials. We cannot see these important resources and capabilities to another country. And while the administration and others in the U.S. have acknowledged the country needs to quickly become less dependent on China's electric vehicle batteries and semiconductors, America is still far away from independence on these, on the, on the manufacturing of these matters, of these uh, items and materials. But they don't care. Because we are driven by a religion, a new religion here. That's why. For years I've told you about the degrowth movement. For years I've written about the degrowth movement. Banning progress, banning prosperity, that's what's taking place here. Banning private property rights by executive order, by the Environmental Protection Agency. So-called environmental movement, as I wrote in American Marxism, my latest iteration of this. The movement of the 70s has devolved into another avenue to attack American constitutional republicanism and, of course, capitalism. From clean air and clean water to global cooling, warming, climate change, the goal of many of the leading intellectuals behind this effort has been the introduction of Marxist thinking and objectives through the guise of environmentalism as the Green New Deal, which promotes economic regression, radical egalitarianism, and autocratic rule. Nobody's voted for this. Nobody's voted for anybody who would do this. But the movement has expanded well beyond that to include virtually every programmatic and agenda-driven goal of the American Marxists, which has been embraced to one degree or another by the Democrat Party, among others, the environmental movement has developed numerous areas of overlap with other Marx-eccentric ideologies. Some of the movement's masterminds insist that Marxism doesn't go far enough in establishing their degrowth utopianism. Degrowth, you know, Marx didn't talk about degrowth. And yet now we have a degrowth utopianism as they imagine life in a perpetual state of nature where productivity, growth, material acquisition are toxic to human spirit, and in the end it all involves a form of repression and autocracy. And at the core of this mind-numbing, amalgamated Marxist-centric or Marxist-like crusade is the degrowth movement. Mankind consumes and produces too much, and the blame resides with capitalism in America. Again, there are a variety of movements within movements targeting one or another approach. But there are basic tenets. In their essay, what is degrowth? From an activist slogan to a social movement. There's a whole movement, a degrowth movement. You have these leading degrowthers. They write that degrowth was launched in the beginning of the 21st century as a project of voluntary societal shrinking of production and consumption aimed at social and ecological sustainability. It quickly became a slogan against economic growth and developed into a social movement. Unlike sustainable development, which is a concept based on false consensus, they don't want sustainable development. They want degrowth. 
Degrowth does not aspire to be adopted as a common goal by the United Nations, the Organization of Economic Cooperation Development, or the European Commission. The idea of socially sustainable degrowth, or simply degrowth, was born as a proposal for radical change. The contemporary context of neoliberal capitalism appears as a post-political condition, meaning a political formation that forecloses the political and prevents the politicization of particular demands. Degrowth is an attempt to repoliticize the debate, a much-needed socio-ecological transformation. I'll explain all this. Affirming dissidence with the current world representations and search for alternative ones. So degrowth challenges the idea of green growth or a green economy and the associated belief in economic growth as a desirable path and political agendas. Degrowth is not just an economic concept. It is a frame constituted by a large array of concerns and strategies and actions. And so degrowth has now become a confluence point where streams of critical ideas and political action converge. So the goal is to, reserve, is to reverse economic process, uh, progress, reverse the Industrial Revolution, reverse capitalism, medical advancements, technological advancements. That is exactly what's taking place right now, America. It's the degrowth movement. <laughs> 